seated. Well, we want to thank you for being with us tonight on this holy night of worship. 
If you're joining us online from wherever the Lord has you, a special welcome to you. Please take advantage of our chat. We have online hosts available for you all throughout the service. They'd love to pray with you and for you. They'd love to answer your questions. We want you to feel a part of what the Lord is doing in this place from wherever the Lord has you. Well, tonight we honor the greatest act of love the world has ever known. We remember a rabbi from Nazareth whose life would change the course of history. Jesus. He wasn't who the Jews expected their king to be. He didn't ride in on a war horse to conquer their political enemies. Instead, he came on the back of a donkey's colt. He didn't demand a seat of honor at dinner with his disciples. Instead, he washed their feet. He didn't flee or fight back when an angry mob came to arrest him in the garden. Instead, he willingly offered himself up to those who were seeking his life. And he didn't command the armies of heaven's angels to come to his aid when the soldiers nailed him to the cross. Instead, he submitted himself to the loving will of his father and gave up his life. And why? Why did he choose to take such dreadful agony upon himself to the point of death on the cross. The true and perfect word of God tells us that he did it for you and for me. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. Not because we were good enough, not because... We checked off the religious boxes, not because we had accomplished enough good deeds or broken enough bad habits, but right in the middle of the worst that humanity had to offer, Jesus died and demonstrated the unfathomable love of God. And while we know the story didn't end on Friday at Golgotha, right? We know that Sunday is coming. But tonight, just for a moment, we're going to stay in the darkness of Friday. Like the women at the cross, like John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, we are going to stay at the foot of the cross tonight at our Savior's feet and dwell here a while to reflect on and honor the great sacrifice that he made on our behalf. Sinner, come and mourn, for he calls your sin his 
are the words of the prophet Isaiah, who describes the Savior who would come and redeem his people. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone 
to their own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Please rise once more in body or in spirit and let's come before the Lord together in a song of confession this evening.
you're seizing control for scorning our very maker in thought word indeed we filled you our king how deeply we need a savior lord of mercy before the Lord in prayer together. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice of your body broken and your blood poured out. Spirit, we thank you for your presence with us tonight, for moving in this place and impressing on our hearts the radical depths of your love for us. Thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we continue to wrestle against sin and the darkness of this world, thank you that we can look to the cross and see our absolute belovedness. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy for the places where we continue to both experience and enact pain and loss, grief and brokenness, temptation and sin, abuse and harm. Lord, have mercy on us, we pray. We thank you that in Jesus Your mercies are new every single morning. Holy Spirit, tonight we ask for an increased awareness of your presence, for a deepened sense of your love for us, for hearts and minds that are attuned to you, that we might more fully grasp the great sacrifice of our crucified King, 
We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the Lamb who is worthy. Amen. You may be seated. Friday. We are so glad that you are with us uh, this evening at Springbrook as we celebrate uh, Good Friday. We are eagerly anticipating Easter. I think everybody loves Easter. Easter is a fun celebration. It's filled with good news. It's filled with hope. It's filled with promise. It's filled with joy, and it is filled with new life. But we cannot celebrate Easter until we understand what happened on Good Friday. Easter is a celebration of Jesus coming back to life, but before we celebrate the coming back to life part, we have to understand what it meant when he was put to death. We're in Hebrews chapter 1 for our Holy Week series. We started out uh, in chapter 1. We're looking at verses 1 through 4. Uh, We looked at the first two verses uh, Sunday as we celebrated Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we're continuing to look at this these passages as we move through uh, Good Friday and uh, Easter. We're in Hebrews chapter 1. I want to read for you, uh, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the irradiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so we're unpacking the first four verses of Hebrews because they help us to understand the the supremacy of Christ. We see in those first three verses of Hebrews everything that unfolds as we move through Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. You see, we, uh, we started off looking at this Hebrew series. Uh, this is kicking off a series that we're going to be looking at coming after Easter. And so these first four verses set the foundation for a series that we're going to be starting after Easter. And I, I hope you will continue with us as we move through Easter and then launch this new series on Hebrews. Those first four verses are the foundation for our series, and they were also the foundation for our Holy Week series. Last week, we looked at uh, the fact that God has spoken to us uh, through his son. We saw who Jesus is. Tonight, we're looking at what Jesus did as we look at verses 3. And then on Easter, we're going to be looking at verses 3 and 4, the fact that he is sitting down now at the right hand of his heavenly father. And so we saw last week who Jesus was. We know that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah that they were waiting for. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our King. Jesus is how God speaks to us. We know that he is our final hope in the last days. He is the final word. He is the ultimate authority. He is the heir over all of creation. This evening, we're looking at what Jesus did for us from verse 3. It says that Jesus, after making purification for sins, 
sat down at the right hand of the majesty. And so Jesus has made purification for our sins. That's what he's done for us. What did Jesus do for you? He made purification for sins. He's made purification for our sins. And the first thing that we see is is that there's a person here. The he that that passage is referring to is Jesus. You see, Jesus is not a figment of somebody's imagination. Jesus is a, a real person. Jesus is both God and human. Jesus is a person. And as a result, uh, Jesus, um, he, he is also fully God, but he's a person. As God, he's the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. He is upholding the universe by his word and his power. He is that anticipated Messiah. He is the King of Kings. He's our high priest. He's the source of all authority. Jesus is fully God. And by him and for him, all things were created on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, through him, and for him. Jesus is fully God. John 1, 4 says that uh, he became flesh. By thing, all things were created by him and for him. And the great news is this, that even although he was God, he emptied himself. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus is God, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a human being. The word became flesh. It dwelt among us. And we have seen the glory. His glory is only from the Son, from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus was fully God, but he was also a person. And as a person, he had a body, he had a heart, he had a mind, he had a will. Jesus was a person in every sense of the word, just like you and I are human. He had a body, he, he got hungry, he got hungry, he got tired, he felt pain. He only lived to be 33, so he didn't experience the joy of turning 60, but, but he did endure the cross. And I think that counts. He had a body and he, and he felt like we did. Everything that you feel, all the emotions that you have as a part of your body, Jesus felt. He had a heart. He had feelings. He got sad. He got happy. He cried. He showed sorrow. He, he showed compassion. He, he showed frustration. So whatever you're feeling, Jesus felt. As a person, he can connect with you. He understands what we're going through. He had a body. He had a heart. He had a mind. He had thoughts. He had conversations with people. He reasoned and explained the scriptures. He was aware of the relationships around him. He, he was human in every sense of the way. He had a will. You know, he had a will. He had desires, just like we have desires. He had preferences. He had to make decisions. Jesus was fully human in every sense of the word. And you see the fullness of his humanity just before his crucifixion in Luke chapter 22. He withdrew from the disciples about a stone throw away. He knelt down and he prayed this, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel in heaven to strengthen him. You see, whatever feelings that you're having, whatever emotions you're having, whatever you're going through, you have someone that understands. God understands what you're going through. You are not alone. Jesus was fully God and he was fully human and, and he understands what we're going through. Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize 
with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we have been, yet he is without sin. Jesus is a person, and it's important for us to connect with that and realize that he is real. He does identify with us. He's also God, and as a result of that, we're able to experience purification from sins. Jesus came so that we could be purified. And purification is a process. I had a house up in Spring Grove before we moved to Huntley, and we had, a, we had well and septic up there, and I had a well that fed our house, and I had to have a house filter on it. And then I had an RO system that purified our water, and I'd have to change those filters every month. And every time I'd get them out, they were just nasty. They were a mess. That system was purifying the water that was coming into my house. And purification seems to be an easy process, doesn't it? Before I stepped out tonight, I, I picked up a bottle of water. I was drinking it. says it's, it's purified water. I mean, purification seems to be a, an easy process. But when it comes to purification from having an imperfect life, when it comes from purifying people from sin, that requires a blood sacrifice. It's only a blood sacrifice that will pay the penalty for our sin that purifies us. And that's what Jesus came to do. Hebrews 9.22 says, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, though, there is no forgiveness of sins. You see, it's only through a blood sacrifice that we can be purified. It's only through a blood sacrifice that our lives can be made right and be made whole as we stand before God. There were things that, from a scriptural perspective, that could be purified with water or with fire. And so the author says there are some things that you can purify with water and and with fire, but with regard to sins, it can only be purified through the shedding of blood. uh, Leviticus 17 explains it this way, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by life. And so it's only through a blood sacrifice that we can be purified with regard to our sin. It takes blood to cleanse us. It is by blood that we are cleansed. It is by blood that we are purified. It is by blood that our sins are paid for. And that is what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. The blood of Jesus was offered up for us, and that is what purified us. You know, we typically don't have a lot of discussion around the graphic details about the crucifixion. You know, but you need to understand what happened at that crucifixion to fully grasp the depth and how deep and how wide that love is that God has for you. You have to understand the details of what happened at that crucifixion in order to get a glimpse of just how much God loves you. I was at Texas Roadhouse uh, just two weeks ago, and uh, I always get the same thing when I go to Texas Roadhouse. I love the early dying sirloin. It's on special. I love it. I get the same thing every time. But every time I walk in, they parade me by this display rack that's just filled with these beautiful steaks. It's got different cuts. It's got different kinds of meats. And I look at them and I go, oh, those all look good. But I get the sirloin every single time. And as I was thinking about that meat display, it dawned on me that we never talk about the process for how those steaks are made. 
know, we've got this image in our mind, you know, we have, there's a slaughterhouse, these big animals go in, and then they go through this process, and they come out the other end, and there's, they got these nice little steak cutlets that we get to select from. We never talk about the process for where our meat comes from, because it's gruesome. You know, we don't like to talk about that. We don't like to talk about our sin. We don't like to talk about the process that Jesus went through. And in a lot of ways, talking about sin and the crucifixion is about just as exciting for people as talking about the process that our meat comes through as we select our steaks. You know, that crucifixion was gruesome. You know, fortunately, legislation, much legislation has been passed to to, to take care of the, the animals and the processing so that it's humane, but much more humane than anything that Jesus experienced. Jesus went through a process that was nothing more than inhumane. Jesus was not just simply killed like a Passover lamb would have been killed in the Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, that blood sacrifice came as a result of animal's blood being shed on an altar. And so there's a process for that. That was the process that Jesus went through, but it was nothing, it was nothing humane about it. Jesus experienced the full brokenness the full sinfulness of this fallen and broken world, even as he went through the crucifixion. Jesus experienced rejection. He experienced humiliation. He experienced pain. He experienced suffering. And he experienced loneliness. You know, Jesus, through this process of of, of purification for us on our behalf, experienced these things. He was rejected by his disciples. The religious leaders hated him. Everybody that was his friend scattered. He came into town on a donkey with a celebration on the first Sunday. And then by the time you get to Good Friday, everyone had scattered. He had been rejected by everyone. He had faced humiliation. He was spit on. He was ridiculed. He was made fun of. He had to drag his own cross to his own crucifixion. And along the way, he experienced beatings and whippings. He had a crown of thorns shoved on his head. He experienced immeasurable pain. And then he also experienced suffering. You know, suffering is extended pain. Pain is is what happens when you accidentally slam your finger in the door of your car. Suffering is doing it over and over and over and over again for a couple hours. And so he experienced not just the pain of it, but the suffering. It It was extended as he hung on the cross, gasping for breath. And then he experienced loneliness. He was forsaken, fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm 22. He experienced how much God hates sin as his father turned his back on him and he took on the sins of the world. He wasn't just killed. He was crucified. It was the most painful death that someone could experience. It was the worst severe punishment that was reserved for the worst criminals in dissonance. He suffered on our behalf. That process of purification is what Jesus took on himself for us. Philippians 2.8 says, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That sounds so sterile, doesn't it? I mean, we talk about the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and there's something sterile about that. And tonight is a night, it's an opportunity for us to, to reflect and remember the process that Jesus went through for us, for you, and for me. Jesus made purification for our sins. He, Jesus, made purification for our sins, for yours 
and from mine. And here's the bad news. You have a sin problem. I have a sin problem. We all have a sin problem. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have a tendency in our culture to think that we're not as bad as the next person. We evaluate ourselves to other people all the time. But when it comes to sin, it's not something that's just behavior related. Sin entered into the human race as a result of a condition that happened at the beginning of the fall with Adam and Eve. We're all sinners because we're human. You're born with it. And yes, it is a behavior, but sin is a condition that we're, that we're all face. We all have it. Jesus died for you and me because sin is a reality. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning and also practice, practices lawlessness, sin is lawlessness. And so there are times when we do behaviorally sin. It's a condition that we face, and it's also a behavior that can be reflected in how we observe God's laws. And so sin is a big problem. It's a problem for all of us. Jesus died for you and for me because sin is a reality. We all suffer from it, from being human and because of our decisions. Jesus died for our sins. He died for our lawlessness. He died for our rebellion. He died for our indifference. He died for our selfishness. He died for our depravity. Jesus took the full weight of the sins of the world on himself and for us. And we need to personalize it. He died for all of it. We're all messed up. We all have sin. Every single one of us has a sin problem. But the good news is this. We're justified by his grace as a gift. You see, we all have a sin problem, but God has a solution. We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a perpetuation for his blood to be received by faith. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ, not by works so that no one can boast. The bad news is is that you can't be good enough. It doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter if you pray. It doesn't matter if you fear, fear God. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 was all of those things. And he wasn't saved until he understood his need for a relationship with Christ. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. It is a gift. And it comes about as a result of the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus. He was our substitute. When he died on that cross for the sins of the world, he died on the cross for us. He didn't just take on the sins of the world. He took on my sin and your sin. And we come to the point where we understand that. And so Jesus, his death on the cross was sufficient to cover everybody, but for those that have placed their faith in him, for those that have confessed him as Lord and Savior, for those that have believed in him, that's where salvation comes from. In 1 Peter 2.24, it says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Those are sweet words for us. You know, we've come together this evening to celebrate and to remember what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. We've come together to remember exactly what was done. We're going to be celebrating communion in just a little bit. And when we celebrate communion, it's an opportunity for us to reflect and to remember what Christ has done. That first communion supper was Jesus sitting around with his disciples. It was on a Thursday, Some churches celebrate Maudie Thursday, which is where they do communion together. 
and then they celebrate communion, and then they celebrate the fact that he died on the cross, and they celebrate Easter. Tonight, we're, we're combining that last supper with remembering what Christ accomplished for us. And so there's two purposes for our communion tonight. Communion is an opportunity for us to, to step back and, and to remember that point where we first understood what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. You know, we celebrate that, and we give thanks for that, and we celebrate the assurance that is ours. Now, I want to invite you to, uh, as we prepare for communion, to reflect on the reality of some of those passages that we've shared. I also want to share with you a passage as we prepare for communion this evening. I want to invite you to reflect on this passage from the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 23, this is a little glimpse of what we're going to be looking at Sunday. Jesus has died. He's been buried. He comes back to life. Spoiler, we're going to celebrate that Sunday. So we know Jesus came back to life. But right before his disciples recognized him, he's with them and they don't recognize him. In verse 53 in Luke 23, and this is what I want you to reflect on. They had taken his body, they had wrapped it up in linen, and they had laid him in a tomb, and they had cut into stone where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed. They saw the tomb. They saw how his body was laid. And they returned and they prepared spices and and ointments. And on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. And so the disciples were in a period of resting. And so as we come together to partake of communion together, we do so understanding that we're moving into a, a period of resting. Our service is going to come to an end this evening, and we're going to end with communion. That's how our service is going to end. And I want to encourage you to use this evening and use tomorrow to reflect on the death of Christ as we anticipate what happened on Easter. Good Friday and Saturday are a period of rest. They're a period of reflection. We all know how this story ends. We're going to be looking at Luke 24 Sunday for Easter. But I want to share this passage with you out of Luke 24 in verse 30. It says this, Jesus was with the disciples. They were walking together. He said to them, foolish ones, they are slow of heart. The prophets have spoken. They don't fully understand who who Jesus is. And then when we get to verses 30 and 31, they get to the table together. He's walking with them. They get to a table together. And when he took bread and blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to them. It says their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus and he vanished from them. And so Jesus was walking with these disciples on the way to celebrate dinner. They're talking about what happened. They had no idea who it was. And it wasn't until they got to the communion meal together that he broke the bread and he lifted that cup that they said, that's familiar. That's who this is. And then he disappeared. And so communion this evening is an opportunity for us to to celebrate what Christ has done for us. But I also want to encourage you to, to think for a moment at that point that you came to understand your need for a relationship with Christ. And so if you have a relationship with Christ this evening, you can celebrate communion in a sense that you understand what happened on that last supper. But maybe you're here this evening and and you don't understand what a relationship with Christ is. Maybe you didn't know that we had a sin problem. Maybe you didn't know that Christ died on the cross for your sins. You know, tonight's the night that I'm praying that your eyes would be opened. You know, each of us has to make a a decision about what we're going to do with the person, the work of Christ. And if we believe and we understand, if we believe that we have a sin problem, if we understand that Jesus paid the price for that sin, 
If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. And so tonight I'd like to ask you, if you've never come to the point where you've actually confessed that, if you've never come to the point where you believe that, tonight's the night that I want to encourage you to cross that line of faith. See, Christ followers are people that understand and believe everything that we just talked about. They understand their sin problem. They understand that Jesus paid the penalty for their sin. Everybody knows that. Satan knows that. The people that are still practicing the Jewish faith knows that. Everybody knows the story. But we have to each individually come to the point that we believe it in our own hearts and in our own minds. And we have to ask the Spirit of Christ to come into us. The Spirit, of, the Spirit is external in the life of somebody that does not have a relationship with Christ. We have to ask him to come in. And so this evening, if you want to ask Christ to come into your life and you want to cross that line of faith and become a Christ follower and have your sins forgiven and have the assurance of everything that we're going to be celebrating Sunday night, you just have to ask. And so tonight you can ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you're resurrected. And if with your heart and your mind you believe that and you confess that, you will be saved. And so I pray that your eyes are opened if you've never crossed that line of faith. And maybe this evening you're sitting there and you still have questions and you want to explore a little bit more. You've got some index cards on your chair. I want to encourage you to take one of those index cards out. I want to encourage everybody to take one out. If you have a relationship with Christ, number one is it's an opportunity for you to say, my eyes have been opened. I made a faith commitment. I have a relationship with Christ. Or number two, if you want to make a faith commitment, or maybe you're just saying, hey, as best as I know, Cal, I want to commit my life to Christ and cross that line of faith and experience that free gift of grace that God offers us. Tonight's the night that you can make that faith commitment and you can put a number two on that index card. Maybe you've still got some questions. Maybe you've got questions about what Christianity is. Maybe you're here tonight and you're just thinking, well, I thought I'd come check it out and, and, and you still have questions. I want to help you to be able to get those questions answered. And so with that index card, I'm, I, I would like everyone to put either a one, a two, or a three on that index card. And we're going to come forward and we're going to partake of communion together this evening. And so when you come forward, there's some baskets here. I want to invite you just to drop those cards in that basket before you take communion. It's an opportunity for you to say, hey, I'm taking communion. My eyes have been opened and I'm celebrating what Christ has done in my life. Or maybe I want you, maybe number two, you're bringing that card forward and you're saying, hey, you know what? My eyes are open tonight. I'm making a faith commitment and I want to celebrate that. And this is your first communion. If you still have questions about communion, don't feel like you have to come forward. But I want to encourage you to take the steps necessary to find the answers to the questions that you might have. And if you're watching with us online, there's a little QR code. You can just snap that with your phone. It'll send a message uh, directly to us. And so I want to encourage you to let us know how we can celebrate with you the work that God's doing as we prepare for a great Easter service. I'd like to encourage you also to put your name and a contact information up out there so we can contact you. I'd love the opportunity to give you a call and celebrate a decision with you or celebrate with you what God's doing in your life. So if you want to, you can put your name and your contact information on there as well, and I'll follow back up with you um, next week. And then also in the back, if there's a place that we can pray for you, Maybe you've got something in your life right now and you just need prayer for it and you want to share that with our prayer team, you can share a prayer request on the back of that um, as well. But we're going to take these next few minutes to celebrate communion together. And then after communion is over, Bethany is going to come out and we're going to sing another song together and then that will conclude the service. And so you're all invited to come back Sunday to celebrate the great news that Jesus didn't die, but that he came back to life and he's been resurrected. And that is something worth celebrating. 
Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this evening that we could come together uh, just to remember and reflect and celebrate uh, what has been accomplished uh, on our behalf. God, the process of purification of sins in some ways can seem sterile, uh, but we also recognize that what Jesus endured was for our benefit and it was painful. And so, God, thank you for that, for that gift. I'm sorry he had to endure that, but I am grateful for what it means to me. I'm grateful for what it means to my brothers and sisters in Christ that we can celebrate Easter in this way, God, knowing that we are secure in who we are in Christ and our faith. And God, I thank you for this time we've been able to share together this evening. We look forward to all that you have for us. We look forward to celebrating the resurrection on Sunday. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so you can come forward to take communion. You can take it as the Lord leads. And then at the very end, um, we'll conclude with prayer. Thank you. i
Worthy is the Lamb. You are holy. 